I need to pause and say thank you. Some of you may be asking yourselves, who's that guy up there? Uh, my name is Art Preuss. I'm your pastor. Nice to meet you. No, all joking aside. Um, this has been a very um, odd year, I'm sure for a lot of us, in many different ways. This church has gone through a lot of changes recently. Some by design, and some not so much. From my family, from my perspective, I had never intended for things to have gone the way they did. And I can promise you that. Because when we arrived and I sat with a board and I said, listen, I'm going to be, I'm going to take a half a step back in order to focus in helping my wife to complete her degree. The board said, no problem, pastor, we got you. And within a few short weeks, we had a visit from my mother-in-law who was then diagnosed with stage four cancer. Things shifted, we had to pivot. And you guys pivoted. It created another setback, another step back. My mother-in-law's okay. prepared I got it I got it Sue Uh, I knew this was coming she's okay we spoke with her this week she did her last or her latest PET scan revealed that she has absolutely nothing but it came at a price price that you all paid. Not only that, as if you're a church member here, you know I serve as a military chaplain. Things changed at my base. My supervisor was promoted, and with his promotion, his slot became vacant. I became the sole chaplain to cover 2,500 people for two and a half months.
while still commuting back and forth on the weekends and still helping my wife care for my mother-in-law. It was a difficult time for us as it was for you all as well. I recognize that. And for that, thank you. But it didn't end there. It did not end there. Mother-in-law went back to Brazil, cancer-free. My wife had put her degree on hold. And she went back in. Then I got selected to participate in a military exercise that saw me being absent for the last three weeks. Four, if you count my regular one day a month. First week in UTA is what we call the military training. Second weekend travel to military exercise. And the fourth weekend. So last weekend, as you can see, we celebrated her graduation. I share all of this to say thank you. It will get better. The ride, the ride is not over yet. Why do I say that? Stay tuned. I'm going to dive into that a little bit today in the sermon. But I will say this. We couldn't have done this without you all. So thank you for being patient, for being kind, for your support. And when... You perceive that things are going backwards. Let me assure you, and let me assure you, they have not been. They have not been. Because the best is yet to come. Which leads me to this. Just before I left in August... We've been talking about growing young, and I, I, you remember me saying, hey, save the date, save the date. So what is growing young? Actually, we now have changed it to growing together. And I, we, as a church leadership, we've decided to 
see where this goes. And it was brought, it was brought to my attention, and rightly so. I said, hey, pastor, we started NCD. And from there, it led us to round tables. And, and now you're doing this. So where are we going? There are things that overlap each other. And these two things that we took, these assessments that we took a couple of years apart, they have, though they are very different in terms of approach and focus, but they have very overlapping purposes. I'm not going to get into all of that. I'm going to say that for a later time. But I just want to bring to you the results of the survey that you guys helped us take. And that took, care, and that took place about four weeks ago. And I received the results. And so I want to share this with you real quickly. If you're visiting with us for the first time, let me just, if you've never heard of this before, it's a spinoff Growing Young, a book done by Kara Powell, and, and I can't remember the other author. They talked about how churches that want to grow, they need to grow young with a younger, in an emphasis on young people. And so they developed this assessment. And this assessment helps us understand where we stand in those churches that have done these assessments and have implemented suggestions and even gone beyond that and, and created their own Long-term-wise, they have grown younger, therefore more vitality, therefore more young people, therefore, uh, I don't want to say a happening place, but with youth comes vibrance. So let me share with you the results of the findings for which you guys who partook of this came. These are the, the, the areas in which we are going to focus in, and so... Keychain leadership focuses on us handing over uh, leadership roles to a younger generation. Uh, then we also have empathy today. How do we relate with the younger generation? And we can even go even broader than that. How do we relate with the older generation as well? Okay, so it's, that's why we are growing together and not just growing young. Then we have a Jesus message. Are the messages that are being preached from up here, are they focusing on Jesus? Amen. Not in an alarmist. And I'm going to par- stop there. It's not doom and gloom. It's not repent or you're going to hell. It is choose Jesus because he has salvation. He's the one who holds the keys, not the church. Okay, So that's what Jesus' message is. Warm relationships. Are we a warm church? Are we a friendly church? Do we treat each other with kindness? I would hope so. All right? Prioritize everywhere. Usually you see the arrow that at some point when you, when you skip one of these fundamental principles, your tendency is to grow old. It doesn't matter which one you jump, but you skip one, your tendency is that you're going to become a social club. That's not what we want. We want a vibrant, 
happening place. I think I'm the only one who wants that. Right? We want a vibrant, happening church. And lastly, best neighbors. How does that, what does that mean? Well, well, Pastor Art, isn't warm relationships and best neighbors the same? No, they're not. Do the neighbors around you know who you are? Do they know what you believe? I'm not talking about you beating their over their heads like, hey, you got to come to church on Saturday because Saturday is the day that the Lord has created for you to come to church. No, it's do you know my Savior? Do you know why I go to church on Sabbath? Do you know who created such a day? Being best neighbors isn't also just about spirituality. It's you being present in their lives. So without further ado, let's look at what's next. There were 60 people who participated. And these are the age categories. None between the ages of 14 and 17 completed the survey. None. I'm saddened by that because this was a prime opportunity for some of our young people to share their perspective. Three between the ages of 18 and 23, one between the ages of 24 and 25, so roughly four between the ages of 18 and 29. Okay, well, that kind of speaks to our demographic a little bit, doesn't it? Three between the ages of 30 and 40. And now you start to see the uptick. 14 between 40 and 49. That's my age bracket. I'm getting old. Durr. Eight between 50 and 59. 16 between 60 and 69. And 12 over 70. So this is the perception, right? Or, or I should say, this is the demographic. And here's the perception. And you may look at that and say, hey, Pastor Art, that's not bad. Not great either. Now maybe just be honest. We excelled at warm relationships in Jesus' message. And here are their scores, respectively. Notice how we are teetering very close to being low here. The range is one to five. Thank you, Steve. Good question. The range is one to five. So anything above a 375 means that we're doing good. However, at 379, we're on the fringes here. We're on the positive side, but we're on the fringes. Jesus' message is what we do best. Amen to that. I'm doing something right. In reality, we're all doing something right. Because it's not just me that that does that it's the band it's those that you come in contact with everybody who's we are this is our primary focus and as long as i'm your pastor that will be the primary focus but we need to improve in some of these areas here which leads me 
to the so what, what next kind of a question. We can't do anything without going to God first. One of the things that happened in this last year, I I started roughly about two years ago, a little over two years ago, and we started with prayer meeting. And then after about a year or almost a year, we ceased having prayer meeting. I noticed the difference. We're going back to it. September 20, put it on your calendar, 6 p.m. We're going to have it here at church. Pastor, really? I need to come to church on Wednesday? It would, I would be thrilled if that was not your response. I would be thrilled to have a good number of you here. So we can start praying for this initiative. We're not going to do anything. We're not going to implement any programs. We're just going to start praying. And by the way, there is a prayer guide for this. And I have it. And anybody else who comes and wants to join, they can do that. Well, Pastor, I, I live kind of far. It's hard for me to make it here. Can I get one of these? See me after church. I would like to encourage you all to take this time. If, he, if you are serious about growing together, we need to start with prayer. We need to come together in prayer. And so anybody who wants to come through these doors, this is going to be how we're moving forward together. Together. In prayer is how we're going to start. So having said all that, I want to invite you to bow your, your heads with me as we pray one last time before we, I share God's word this morning. Yes, ma'am. I'm, can you see me after church? Um, and I want to pull the deacons as well. Uh, if you can see me after church, um, but thank you. What's your mother's name? Victoria. Victoria. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for giving this privilege of coming together to worship you. Thank you for giving us this privilege of opening your word and seeing exactly what it is that you expect of us. And so I pray, Father, that you will be with us through your spirit and in a special way. Lord, we pray for those who have suffered the fury of Vidalia, those that have lost their homes, even loved ones, Lord, we pray that you will 
bless them with the assurance that you have never left them nor forsaken them, first of all. But Lord, also with the peace of mind of knowing that you are still in control despite what nature throws at us. You are our creator and its creator. Therefore, you are bigger than any of these problems combined. Lord, we pray for Victoria. We pray for her health. We pray for not just her, but any of, any of those that have suffered loss. And that may be, Father, that there are others here in this room whose family have suffered loss as a result of this hurricane. We pray, Father, that you draw near them. I pray that you, Father, draw near us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please open your Bibles with me. John chapter 15. We are going to spend 95% of our time here in this text for the remaining minutes. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. We're going to read it through once together. If you did not bring your Bible or you don't have a Bible on your, on your smartphone, I have the words on the screen for you. And here's what it says. I am the true vine. Will you read with me aloud? I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that he bears, he prunes. Sorry, I should be reading the screen, not my Bible. That one. That he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire. And it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Hmm. You know, as I started to look at this text and started to get into it, I, I went down this, this rabbit hole of how old do grapevines last? And so I started to look through the Bible, and I even found passages where the prophets are reminding the people that when they left Egypt, they even brought 
grapevines with them through the wilderness. We often have this idea that we think that all they came out with was treasures and their animals, but they also brought grapevines. So I wonder how long do, the, do these grapevines last? Out of curiosity, I looked one up. And did you know that currently the oldest grapevine right now in existence is found in Zamatovka in Slovenia? Any guesses how old that vine is? Anybody? Thousand years? No, not quite. Not quite. That's it. This particular vine is dated to the 16th century. And I kept thinking to myself, wait a minute. What in the world has to happen in order for a vine to be that old? And I started reading about it. And one of the things that they say, have you noticed that how there's a fence around it to protect its trunk? This is the oldest wine in the world. And they harvest it, or, or, or a vineyard, or, or vine. This is the oldest vine in the world. And from the grapes, they make it into wine, into about little bottles. And it's sold for thousands of euros. Because the older the vine is, the more concentrated the juice that comes from it. Don't forget that. The older the vine, the more concentrated the juice comes from it. Puts another meaning to this. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You know, this text starts out with two things, actually three. First, who Jesus is in relationship to the Father. Two, who the Father is in relationship to the vine and its fruits. And three, our relationship to the vine. Jesus himself, he is saying, I am the true vine. By implication, it means that there's another vine out there somewhere that it's not the true one. I remember growing up in Lancaster, right? We had wild grapes. They sure smelled sweet. But when you plucked the purple fruit from that cluster and you put it in your mouth, it was like a sour candy. It was not sweet at all. It was not a true table grape vine. It was wild. Jesus is saying, I am the vine and there is somebody who takes care of me. 
Jesus, as a young boy, when he was left at the, at, at the temple and he was forgotten about his parents, talking about left behind, okay? He's the, he's the original home alone. Three days journey it took for, for them to come back and find him. And his response was, did you not know I, am about, I need to go about my father's business? The relationship that Jesus puts himself in as the vine subjugates him to God the Father, his will, not his own. Though a vine can grow whichever way it wants, he still, as God the, the Son, Jesus, he subjugated himself, he humbled himself. That's what it means. It's not just by coming as a human form. He puts himself in direct submission to the will of his Father. It's not just about being human and coming in a sinful human body. That is bad in of itself. But the fact that you have all of heaven's powers at your fingertips, that you have all of the resources that he utilized to create this world and its cosmos and subjugating it to the will of the Father is a lot more mind-blowing for me than coming as a human, human, human being. And then we have the vine dresser. What does the vine dresser do? I'm just giving you a clue. It's up on the screens. He takes care of the vines. I mean, it's a rhetorical question, right? I mean, come on, Pastor Art, really? I mean, look, at there are different styles of taking care of them. There are different ways. See, th these are lattices. And depending on where you are, uh, what country you live in, or, or what type of uh, vineyard you want to have, there are many different formats in which you can make the vine grow. Some of them use metal. Some use wires, some of them use wood, but it is the vine dresser's responsibility to prune the vine, to make it so it has optimum strength for growth and fruit production. Pruning hurts. Here's something I learned about vines. The vine dresser will start cutting in order for it to train the direction it wants it to grow. Sometimes the pruning requires anywhere between 80 to 90% of it being cut. See, very often when we come to a point here, there is also the expectancy that the, the pruning takes place after fruit bearing. That's not true at all. Pruning takes place from the get-go. From the moment that the vine produces its shoots, the vine dresser is there fastening and molding it and taking it into different directions 
And I'm going to show you here what that process looks like. And before I get too ahead of myself, let me do that. When a vine is put on the, on the ground, it's usually done with the idea that it, and the expectation that it's going to grow. And there are different trunks. When Jesus affirms himself as I am the true vine, this is the part that he's talking about right here. From there, we grow. And so when we grow, God already begins to start looking at different components. Okay, where do I want this individual branch to go to? And so after a year that's in the ground and, and there's a year's worth of growth, after a year comes the first pruning where he starts taking off the beautiful, shiny leaves. For those of you that are new converts and you're thinking to yourself, this is hard. No, it's, it's not that it's hard. It's God beginning to shape you for you to become who he wants you to be. Amen. You don't, there are seasons for trimming. There are seasons for harvesting. There are seasons for growth. They don't all happen at once. And so the, the, the vine dresser, he selects which one he wants to utilize and cuts everything else out. And there are times that we look at ourselves and we're like, I just grew this beautiful foliage and you're taking this out? You may be looking at a blessing that God has granted you and then all of a sudden that blessing, it may not be even there. Maybe that's because he wants to remind you, one, I gave you that. Two, this is for a purpose, but it hasn't been utilized for that purpose. So I'm going to cut you. And he does. In order for you to be encouraged to grow into a certain way and then a direction he wants you to go. So you then, he selects the, the, the branches and now he ties it to the lattice. And, but not too hard because he wants to give you enough room to branch out. This is the second year yet all without producing fruit. Then comes the cordons. Cordons are little shoots, and as, as the branches start going into the guide wire, the vine dresser begins to select which ones are the ones he wants to produce fruit. But mind you, you see, we've all been given talents. God has blessed us with individual talents and he has blessed those with individual talents who utilize those talents to grow those talents. 
But it comes, there comes a point where even those talents are pruned and directed in order for what our true purpose to take place. Very often we say, hey, come to Jesus. It's a relationship with Jesus because he has salvation. You know what? That's only half a truth. Because the purpose for us to come to Jesus is not salvation. That is the consequence of coming to Jesus. But the purpose of coming to Jesus is for us to produce fruit. How will others know about God? How will others know about Jesus if we're not sharing? How are others going to grow if we are not doing our part of producing fruit? That's the purpose. The purpose is not salvation. That's a consequence of the relationship. And let me tell you, when you get into a relationship with Jesus, we run dangerously close of being canceled in today's culture. Why? Because it's the word of God that dictates how we ought to grow. In today's culture, if you're not with it, you're canceled out. But let me tell you something. God does some canceling out too. If we are not producing fruit, by the time we should, he doesn't, this is where it gets really interesting. After we have produced fruit, after we have met the purpose for which he has been working in us, he goes back and starts cutting the very vines and branches that have produced fruit. Let me say that again. He's going to trim you and I after we have produced fruit for a season. Why? So we can grow stronger. So we can become those who produce fruit with a more concentrated flavor. Remember what I said at the beginning. The older the vine, the older, the longer, and the, more, the deeper your spiritual walk with God, the longer that connection with God, the more concentrated the fruit will become. And so the vine dresser comes and he begins to prune and he begins to create cuts to the point where he says, you thought the, those fruits were good? Just you wait. You thought that fruit tasted good? Oh, I got better news for you. It's going to hurt a little. But I, trust me, he says, I know what I'm doing. He is the author of our faith. The one who started is the one who's going to complete it. But there's that process who says, you need to trust. There's a season for everything. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, there's a time for harvest and there's a time for sowing. I'm... There's a time for reaping, and there's a time, which is harvest, 
Time for sowing. There's a time to cut, and there's a time to eat. There's a time to cry. There's a time to laugh. There's a time to be born. There's a time to die. But I pray that by the time we reach that end, our trunk would be thick. The Bible says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. See, God isn't interested in you being a temporary solution. He wants you to become a permanent fruit-bearing tree in his vineyard. It's a reason why he gave us his son. He wants you to be that individual that every season there will be fruit-bearing. Somebody once asked, Well, I've even asked this. How many of you have brought somebody to God through Bible studies, right? Well, pastor, I don't know what to say. Come talk to me. I'll I'll help you. I will dumb it down for you to the point that it will give you the questions of what to ask and where to go for the answers. It's that simple. You don't need to have a PhD in soteriology to understand the second coming of Christ. And some of you don't even know what I just said. It's simple. He wants to prune you. Because the joy that you will experience by bringing others to Christ is nothing like you've ever experienced before. And don't take my word or, or, or Rick's word for it as, as being pastors or anybody else who has gone through a set of Bible studies will tell you when they bring somebody to Christ. It's a rush. There is no other feeling. And I would challenge you to experience that. The purpose of us coming to Jesus is not to receive salvation. Because then we're looking at how does that benefits me? Where in reality, God wants you to come so others can experience what you went experience. That's what this is all about. As I said, there are seasons for these things to take place. Some of you may be going through a series of pruning, and it hurts. And you're looking at your vine and you're saying, this ugly thing, how is this ever going to produce fruit? Trust the vine dresser. Some of you are in the stage of growth where you are starting to see some shiny leaves. Be careful. You're going to get cut. But you're going to get cut in order to produce more so you can get cut again And produce more with fruit. God is building you up. He's not done with you. He's far from done with any of us. And by the way, it takes a lot for him to cancel us. It takes a lot. 
Because when he cuts us after we have produced, excuse me, produced fruit, he doesn't cut us away from the trunk unless we have ceased to produce fruit entirely. We are still connected to the vine. We are still connected to the life source. But you need to trust the process. Some of you are going through the period of your reaping the rewards of going through this process of pruning. And there's a harvest. And it's joyous. But you will be cut. You'll be cut so you can go through this process again. And those of you that have experienced the joy of, of coming out on the other side, it will just get better and happier and bigger as long as you choose to produce fruit, as long as you choose to remain in the vine, he will work with you. Today I'm speaking to somebody who might be going through that lowest part of that season. David, in Psalm chapter 30, says this, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And Jesus is our morning star. He is the one who is going to give us what we need when we needed it. This is the time for us to deposit all of our trust in him. Where do you find yourself in your relationship with God? Where do you see, if you had to put a metric together in your personal walk with God, what season is he, do you find yourself in? Trust the process. Trust his leading. I promise you, it is well worth it. There will be no regrets. There will be no second guessing when you start to see those fruits being born, the joy of harvesting them will make it all worthwhile. May God bless you.